I will never change uh, in my basic idea that nonviolence is the most potent weapon available to the Negro in his struggle for freedom and justice. I think for the Negro to turn to violence would be both impractical and immoral. One of the things that I most admire about Martin Luther King Jr. is his absolute commitment to nonviolence. In many ways, the struggle for civil rights in the 60s and the success that it brought about in abolishing Jim Crow can be seen as a model of what civil protest looks like. At its core, what Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement did was to rally their fellow citizens to recognize that, as Martin Luther King said, that the Declaration of Independence was a promissory note. In his famous I Have a Dream speech that he gave in Washington, he said that the movement came to the Capitol to cash a check. And he referred to the words in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence as a sort of promissory note, which was a promise to every American. And America was not holding up to its side of that promise. And so what he did was he said to his fellow citizens that the promise of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, that everyone is entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, uh, in practice, the United States had fallen short in that. And from a practical standpoint, that is an incredibly successful approach, right? Because you are not actually framing yourself as in opposition to the country. In fact, you're saying, join with me to demand that we actually measure up to the ideals that the country was founded on. It's not like what we see today where people are saying, for example, with the 1619 Project from the New York Times, if you're not familiar with it, the New York Times commissioned some, some work, sort of an alternate history of the United States, and it says that the founding of the country is actually not 1776. It's Actually, it's the year 1619 when the first African slave uh, was brought over to the United States. And uh, many renowned historians have said that it's just bad history. But, but nevertheless, that is a vision shared by many people. And it's this view of the United States that actually even the founding principles of the United States are worthless. They are not ideals that we should hold up to. That the country was founded on racism and that it permeates all of the institutions of the United States from its inception. That has absolutely no relation to the kind of approach that Martin Luther King Jr. and the other leaders of the civil rights movement adopted, which was to say, no, these are moral principles. There is an objective morality that was declared in the Constitution and in the Declaration of Independence, and we are simply demanding that we 
actually uh, uphold those promises and that we've fallen short. And moreover, I think what's so amazing about Martin Luther King Jr. is that to me, and I think to most people, it's obvious that there, there is a very deeply ingrained sort of instinctual uh, appeal to violence. It's very alluring. It's something that probably lives within our DNA, and its evolution has sort of made us adapted to to basically taking up violence, um, especially when our uh, when our lives are being threatened or our well-being in, in any way. And my point is that given how strong the draw to violence is, it's amazing that Martin Luther King Jr. and the other civil rights leaders were able to have such a clarity of vision about what is moral that they retained an absolute commitment to nonviolence. And Martin Luther King Jr. said this in an interview that, you know, taking up rioting and, and violence in order to pursue the causes of the civil rights movement was not only impractical, but he specifically said that it would be immoral. And it's amazing to see the contrast between uh, the commitment from Martin Luther King and the other civil rights leader to nonviolence versus what we're seeing today. I was just having a conversation with someone on social media, and I've, I've seen it all over, and I'm sure you have as well. But uh, the guy that I was, I was having an exchange with, he said something to the effect of, you know, it's just a natural response that, you know, of course there's going to be rioting and looting. It's, you know, he said, he said if, you, um, if you repeatedly poke the bear, what, what can you expect? And it's, it's amazing to me that he was so unaware of, you know, what some people call the soft bigotry of low expectations to believe that there's a certain group of people who are incapable of civil protest is itself in a certain sense viewing a certain race of people as inferior, right? Because presumably we live in a society that at least claims to hold that there is a civil way to go about bringing about societal change. And we have specifically said we're, we are not going to resort to violence. And we have this idea that only the police, we've given them the monopoly on violence, that we can't just allow individuals within society to take up violence as a means of bringing about their desired end, because we recognize that it would result in the disintegration of society. And so instead, we have what the civil rights movement did, which is civil protest, which is bringing about the sort of slow-moving but steady-moving wheels of change whereby you appeal to the conscience of your fellow citizens and your fellow countrymen and point them to the fact that we are falling short of a certain ideal. And that really is the most effective way to bring about change. And like I said, I think that the civil rights movement in many ways can be looked at as almost a quintessential model of what nonviolent civil protest looks like. And I think that in so many of the discussions surrounding uh, what we're seeing today, and 
You know, none of what I'm saying is to imply that all of the protest has been violent because I don't think that's true. But nevertheless, you see people so willing to excuse rioting and looting, which is not only ineffective from a practical standpoint, it doesn't further anyone's cause, it more likely hurts it uh, in many ways, both in terms of perception, messaging, economically, but it is completely immoral. And again, we live in a society that uh, is, is built on certain foundations, one of which is that there is a moral and civil way to go about uh, bringing about societal change. And it has to be done in, in a civil manner. And to excuse the rioting and the looting in order to sort of signal you're empathizing with people who have uh, grievances is totally unacceptable. And it really is a soft bigotry of low expectations. Because I highly doubt the people that I've had these exchanges with uh, would argue against the idea that civil protest is really the right way to go about affecting change. And yet, when people engage in it now, um, when people engage in violence, they are so willing with breathtaking casualness to excuse it and to justify it. And I don't think they even realize that, you know, I don't think they want to have given such metaphors that it's like poking a bear, right? I mean, a bear is, is an animal that has no control over its instinctual impulses. And so it resorts to violence. But human civil society is built on nonviolence. And to throw out that whole playbook, which is not only the moral playbook, but is something that we have an example of in the not so far history of the United States, namely the civil rights movement of the 60s, as an approach that absolutely can work and does work and to imply that there's a certain group of people who don't need to be held to the standard, that they have no choice, that it's just an instinctual response to them having grievances is to resort to violence is, is totally unacceptable. And I think that we should call people out when they unwittingly espouse these sort of supremacy-type arguments, honestly. Right, they reveal when they make these statements that they view certain races of people as inferior because they don't think that they're capable of protesting in a civil way. And I think that we don't do anyone a service by not calling out when their actions step over the line. And there is a hard line in the sand that we have in a Western liberal democracy and in a country that's founded on enlightenment principles, which is that violence is not the answer. And I think we should take a step back to just appreciate and, and admire just how, even in the face of incredible struggles, Martin Luther King Jr. and the other civil rights leaders maintained an absolute commitment to nonviolence. It's truly an amazing thing. And I think that as easy as it is for us to recognize that nonviolence is the, the moral response and is the correct way to bring about change, at the same time, we have to recognize that there are these incredibly powerful instinctual forces that make it so that people tend to violence. 
And if it were you or I, I wouldn't be so quick to assume that you would have the same kind of commitment to nonviolence, because again, the the draw and the appeal of violence is so great in in a person's psychological and evolutionary makeup and, and all of that. So it really is something to behold and just admire that even in the face of the struggles that they went through during the civil rights movement, that they were so clear-eyed in their commitment to nonviolence. And it's one of the things that really stands out to me as one of the many kind of striking differences between the movement that we saw in the 60s and at least uh, a, a portion or a subset of the protest and the, the, the movement that we're seeing today. Anyways, that was the thought that I wanted to share, and thanks for listening.